Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installation of The Side Hustle. I'd love to tell you what episode this is, but let's be honest, during all the shelter in place, I'm not even sure what day it is. However, uh, it's basically a bunch of out-of-work event people sitting around and telling stories and hopefully making all of you laugh. My name's Jimmy. I've got two Angelas. One we're going to call Angela, and the other one we're going to refer to as Jules. Our special guest today, all the way from the wily north of Minnesota, it's Jane Doolam, who... Uh, Jules and I have had the pleasure of working with and traveling around the globe with for many, many years. Jane, welcome to our little project during quarantine. Hey, guys. Good to be with you. So we're just basically having some fun and killing time and telling some stories on this little thing. So why don't we start off by having you introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about your involvement in the event production world and your experience and what you're currently during, doing these days. Yeah, Awesome. Um, well, yeah, thanks guys for having me on. Um, when you guys brought this to my attention, I was kind of excited to, to talk about what we do in the background at all these really big events. Um, I started out as an independent contractor and worked many, many years, 12-ish to be exact, maybe-ish, um, working behind the scenes at, at uh, X Games, both summer and winter X Games, uh, Red Bull X Fighters. Um, an ATV tour, the Dew Tour, um, LG Action Sports Championships, Race of Champions. But I guess my focus was mostly on freestyle motocross events. I transitioned from that into in, to the agency world in Minneapolis and worked at a couple of agencies here. And I'm currently the director of experience at a small agency called B Events. And we do all kinds of corporate meetings and events and nonprofit galas and um, some social events. And so I'm lucky to have a job in this weird, weird time that we're in right now, uh, working from home, social distancing. But I'm also kind of glad to be inside because it's 30 degrees and it snowed five inches yesterday. Yeah, I don't know how you tolerate that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Your neck of the woods <laughs> is beautiful. and I've spent plenty of time up there uh in the land of 10,000 lakes but i mean i don't know that i would thoroughly enjoy uh it being essentially the middle of april and then snow and 30 degrees that would not be fun <laughs> although i have no rock it's 45 here right now so i don't know what i'm complaining about <laughs> yeah it's this weird time of year for us that like most people that live here are really excited about seasons and right now we go from really cold winter to spring almost to summer because it was 75 degrees a week and a half ago so it's a really it's a really weird time here <laughs> yeah you know what we're going through the same thing it was literally 95 last week wednesday and then we had a cold it was 40 over the weekend last weekend and then it was 95 on tuesday and it was fairly nice the rest of the week and then literally yesterday it was warm and sunny we had this crazy thunderstorm and after that everything just plummeted and it's supposed to be down in the high 30s tonight well, Angie yeah, and I won't talk is, about our sunny California weather. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> Rub it in. Rub it in, you people in California. So what was your what was your first foray into all of this, into the event world? How did you get started on this journey that you're on, Jane? Um, yeah. So I went to school, went to college here in Minnesota. And um when I graduated I had a broadcast journalism degree and I thought for sure what I wanted to do was be Jamie Little which we all know Jamie Little very well now and that's really what I wanted I wanted to be that sideline reporter at Supercross at 
motocross at X Games, and I actually knew someone that knew someone at X Games, and I got an internship right out of college at the first year Winter X was in Aspen, and uh, working behind the scenes and and saw how all of that kind of played out. And basically at that event, I decided I do not want to be a broadcast journalist. I do not want to be a sideline reporter. I wanted to be behind the scenes, making it all happen. I'm a little bit OCD. And so therefore this type of, um, you know, work works really well for us, like super organized um, spreadsheets, spreadsheets on top of spreadsheets on top of spreadsheets. And um, so, yeah, so the, when I, when I went to Winter X, I basically networked my ass off and continued to do so and continued to pick up gigs here and there. And, and it snowballed from there. So what was it about the whole uh, sideline reporter or broadcasting part of that, that suddenly was like, "Mm -mm, nope, no thanks that you didn't, that you didn't like that decided, all right, I'm going to trade this in for zip ties and a clipboard and uh, running things from behind the scenes. Yeah, I just, I think I, I think once I got to Winter X and I, I actually got to see and meet Jamie Little, which was really fantastic. And I saw all of what was happening behind the scenes from a, you know, talking head perspective. And I went, yeah, you know, I just don't think that's going to be in the cards for me because I really liked, you know, um, Peggy Gibbons was the, the registration lead at that time. And she was awesome at her job. And so organized and I learned a ton from her and it just clicked like that was the that was the piece that I needed to have in my life at that time to to understand no I'm going to pivot from being a broadcast journalist to being behind the scenes and organizing it I can kind of feel your pain on that one especially if you're really in organization because when you're there and you're on camera or you're trying to broadcast, I mean, yes, the, everything's structured and you've got timelines and a plan and whatnot, but there's a lot of just winging it and a lot of making it up as you go along. And at sometimes, especially when you're running long on time or something happens uh, in a sporting event, when there's an injury or a timeout for whatever mm-hmm. reason, uh, it's absolute chaos and there's paper everywhere and people are handing you notes and things are on the fly. And literally every time I get out of a television booth, it looks like a small tornado went through there. So <laughs> if you're a person that thrives on organization, I can see you looking at that and just being like, Oh my God. Yeah. The other piece that was tough for me too, is, you know, you've got too many people talking in your ear and I could never, I could never keep it straight. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, stay composed and, and speak. And then all of a sudden people are yelling in your ear, go to Kim too, do this, say this. Oh, we got to do this. And I'm, I, I lost, I, nope, it was just not for me. <laughs> yeah. That is a, that is a tough one when you are trying to complete a thought or listen to your co-host and yeah. you've got someone talking in your ear. That is definitely something that takes some getting used to and will send many people uh, running to the hill. However, yeah. on that same yeah. point, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes of running an event uh, that will also send most people running to the hills. Uh, so <laughs> let's talk about some of the pitfalls and some of the things you've had to overcome over the years and the things that, uh, the ways that you get through uh, certain adverse situations. Give us a couple of war stories here. Oh my. I mean, this is where it gets, this is where the podcast is going to go a little sideways because as Angela knows, <laughs> a, I have Let's a get terrible loose. memory. A, I have a terrible memory, and 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 B, I think I've blocked out all of those bad things on purpose. Um, 
But I think, um, oh my gosh, that's a tough one, honestly, because, oh, Jimmy, I think you got me on this one. Did I stump you? I know you've got plenty of war stories because I've been around for quite a few of them. And then when you left Red Bull X Fighters, I inherited your your laundry list of things that you had to take care of. And that was a learning experience for me and a half. And I had a whole newfound respect for you and what you do and watching you hold things together with Jules over the years when I was announcing those events only and had no idea the depth yeah. and scope of what two of you did to hold that thing together. Well, I think that's actually something that a lot of people don't really see and they don't understand is, you know, we were a really small, lean team for a long time. And so we had to wear a lot of hats. So it wasn't just, you know, one person was a tabulator and one person was an athlete liaison or whatever. You, you could give yourself 400 titles and we had to be the master of every single one of them. And we, we really were the ones doing all of the work behind the scenes. Um, especially with, you know, X fighters, because that one was, uh, uh, you know, international tour that we went all over the place and had to deal with all kinds of different um, host teams and language barriers. And, you know, what we, what we needed from um, a staffing standpoint, let alone what the athletes need from like a dietary restrictions to hotels, to um, transfers from the airport and, and flights and then invoicing and, I mean, you name it, we had to deal with it. And I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I thought it was fantastic. We just also never got the credit that was kind of due to us. And, and not that we've ever been looking for that credit, but we also, you know, someone introduced me, and I'm not going to say their name, but um, a moto athlete a few years ago, I saw at an event and he introduced me as someone's assistant. <laughs> And I couldn't have been no. more offended. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so I, got, I thought. I've got a couple of guesses on who that might be, but that's a later discussion. <laughs> I could maybe be offline. <laughs> I swear. But, I mean, yeah. our job description, our job description needs to be temporary outdoor decorators and adult babysitters. That's what we <laughs> yeah. do. And that's it. <laughs> I mean, it, not to not to bash anyone. I mean, it's not talking trash, but I mean, I, I've mm -hmm. joked around about stuff that I've done in the past in, in that exact same way, adult babysitting. Um, mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. for me, when I all those years that I worked for ASA and I was doing road shows with those guys, I just had a handful of athletes that I had to deal with and a lot of different personalities and just making sure everybody played nice and that, you know, everybody was on time the next day and in the right frame of mind to go do the show. And we didn't look like mm -hmm. a bunch of idiots until the show was mm -hmm. over. But then once I started to do that uh, for Red Bull X fighters, once I took the reins from you, I was like, Oh, this is on a whole different scale because for that it's, it's not just different personalities. And sometimes people just have different ways of dealing with things, but then you also realize well, one of the biggest transitions for me was dealing with not so much the personality, but the way you were raised because of your culture, because all these people come from different uh, parts of the world and they just, it's just their culture. It doesn't necessarily mean mm -hmm. they're being aggressive towards you or that they're mad at you. It's just, you have to step outside of the box and go, wait a minute, that's just the way that you are because you're from this country or you're from this part of the world. And that's just the way things are typically done. Yeah. And that was, that was definitely a culture shock when we started, you know, taking X fighters on a, um, you know, worldwide tour 
just dealing with every host country was was a learning experience in itself. Um, you know, when we went to um, Cairo, Egypt, we couldn't be more different, <laughs> you know, and from a language standpoint and um, everything. Um, and uh, so, so those those were definitely hurdles that we had to overcome it being the ones behind the scenes that were, you know, handling all of the nitty gritty details. Yeah, it's just, you know, there's a lot of different things from that I learned from my side, just being on the production side or live event as an announcer and seeing like, okay, like, you know, this is how this all works. But then being over on the other side in a judge's manager position and this and seeing how the numbers get out and how all this gets updated and how that works and integrates into the TV broadcast and how quickly you've got to pressure the judges to get this stuff in and like how you mm -hmm. deal with things on the fly in the middle of an event, like electronic breakdowns or, you know, somebody mm -hmm. getting something wrong because it does happen. Uh, and then one thing I never realized that was a terrifying thing. The first one I did taking over your role was the, the pressure and the demand for how quickly you needed to get that stuff out there. And if you were one keystroke away from complete and total catastrophic failure. Yeah, absolutely. And that was something that kind of, you know, I had to learn that over the years. So, you know, after, after winter X games, I started um, working on uh, the X games qualifying events, which they don't even have anymore. And so we had to build a team that would, you know, somebody's got to be up with the judges and, and technically babysitting the judges, if you will. And somebody's got to be down with the riders and, you know, babysitting the riders, you know, during the event. And, and as time progressed and, and, you know, staff changed, I had to kind of take over other roles. Like we were saying, you kind of have to be the, you know, uh, wear lots of hats. Um, and so taking it over from the qualifier standpoint, when those events weren't, you know, necessarily live on television, um, it was a whole different ballpark when, like you're saying, you have to get those scores in and up on the screen in a really timely manner with a lot of people in a lot of different languages yelling at you to get them up there. Yeah. And, and it's funny too, because a lot of people are like, okay, so you just, what do you, you guys go to these events? And so you just get to hang out with the riders all day long. And then the events only one or two nights, but you're there for a whole week and you go to all these dinners and it's like, it's like, yeah, it sounds like it's a cakewalk, but it's really not. And they don't understand like Angela, for example, Jules, sorry. I know there's two of you in here. Uh, Jules, <laughs> for example, like, and if she's in there all day long and yeah, she's in the riders lounge and she's hanging out, but it's like, it's not just the 12 athletes. That's what I saw. It's like, you've got the mechanics mm -hmm. and you've got the manager and you've got the girlfriends and any other bit of riffraff that comes along. And sometimes these guys will bring their kids or kids, friends. And, it, and on top of that, Angela had to not only make sure that all these guys had what they needed, but on top of that, like made sure that they were going to their different media obligations that they had to do, but also had to play security guard slash police officer slash private eye to keep the media team out of the rider's lounge to keep everybody from sneaking in there because they weren't supposed to be there because that was supposed to be the rider's refuge to get away from all that crap. And Angela's putting out fires and constantly standing at the door and going, nope, you don't have the right wristband, beat it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did, I, did I accurately describe your experience, Jules? Totally. To a T. In a, in a politically correct sort of way, I guess. Well, you also forgot <laughs> I had to do all that in my fancy outfits. 
Well, that's uh, true, but the fancy outfit was just one night of that thing. But the other part that I left off too is, I mean, for someone like you, you're first in, last out. I mean, you've got to be down there before any of the boys get down there, usually before any of the mechanics get down there because you got to make sure that no one's doing anything stupid or, you know, swiping any stuff from, you know, somebody else's pit that's not theirs. But then you've got to be there and you essentially can't leave that place till the end of the night till the last athlete slash girlfriend slash mechanic slash manager is out of there and then you can shut that place down and even then you're still not done because your phone's on call all night long in case you have to deal with anything else like oh so-and-so shocks didn't make it from fedex and then you're putting out those fires mm-hmm. or so-and-so girlfriend's layover in madrid didn't work out we need a flight rebook like you know it's you're basically on 24 7 and a lot of people don't see that so that to me was another eye-opener when i stepped into that role with you guys also it's literally, it was Tess, Angela, Jane, and, you know, with some help from Drake. That was it. It was four people running that whole thing from that side of it. Mm-hmm. And that was wild, yep. which goes back to your whole comment about wearing a lot of hats. I mean, I never had any idea that it was literally just four people from that side of it doing everything. Yeah, yeah. you know, we had to, we had to definitely, like I said, be, <laughs> wear a lot of hats, but you know, you also had to be smart with who you brought where from the additional staffing standpoint, um, just because it, it couldn't just be the four of us. You know, we we had to bring in additional help to, you know, with with the course and from a course build to a to a starter standpoint. And we had to be really smart on how we, you know, built all that out because sometimes there was not a lot of time in between each of these events. And so we'd have to get a little bit creative on who we put into what role to make sure that things actually got done. So out of that whole X fighters experience, what was one of the craziest situations that you can remember out of any of those locations that you went to where the wheels just came off and you were like, okay, you got to figure this out and it just, and you got, I mean, you guys always got it done, but for you, what was the craziest situation that you can remember that you were like, okay, that one was a bit of a brainstorm situation. Um, I think I have a couple. So I mentioned it earlier, but going to Egypt was <laughs> definitely one of the most uh, interesting experiences. I think virtually everyone you talk to that was at that event would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I'm, I'm pretty sure Angela wouldn't even go into the judge's tower because it was built so sketchy that it swayed the whole time. I wasn't I for sure it was going there. down. I agree. I thought it was going to go down the whole time. We had a um, mama cat give birth to a litter of kittens <laughs> underneath the landing ramp. Um, we had... Oh, they vacuumed. They vacuumed the landing ramp and the, <laughs> the run-in. That was super fun. Um, it was just a really, it was a really weird experience. You know, we, we'd get all the, we were lucky enough to be at a, you know, kind of a private resort that was gated. Um, you know, we shuttled everyone on buses. When we get to the venue, they'd come on our bus with these giant machine guns and look at all of us and look at what stuff we have they'd look under the bus with mirrors to make sure that we weren't you know bringing anything in that we weren't supposed to it was a really really weird situation and it was not long after we were there that you know the the hit the fan if you will with all the uprising that happened um 
but that one was a really that one was a really really interesting one but it was also really really cool like that was I definitely think one of the most iconic places to hold a freestyle motocross event um but I think like from a fun story probably one of the <laughs> one, one memory that comes to mind is from an after party up in Canada so Angela <laughs> might need you to help a sister out on certain things but you know we, I don't know if we like, can talk about this one <laughs> we will we will I think we can I think so like you said Jimmy like and I I appreciate the way your insight to kind of seeing like what we did and we seriously were on 24 hours a day we had to be at beck and call basically um for for everyone like you're saying not even it wasn't just athletes in their you know plus one slash seven um and their management and all the rest of the staff and all the international staff but um we were constantly working and working was still even at the after party so we get everybody to the after party this particular one was in a hotel um we were in the lobby there's a ktm i think on site that some you know some local shop had brought to put up with the branding from the event and and i thought oh, that's kind of interesting but we'll just keep going so we went up to the party room whatever this room was with a balcony and everybody's hanging out and we're having a great time and and all of a sudden it's like yeah it might be time to get going angela and i think so we start moving towards the door and all of a sudden I can hear what sounds like two stroke. I'm thinking, what's happening here? I shouldn't be hearing this. Well, our friend Ronnie Renner decided he should probably start that motorcycle and bring it upstairs and ride it up and down the hallway. And when Angela and I poked our heads out the door, he almost took our heads off. Was this Calgary? <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh over here. <laughs> that was after I thought I was getting kidnapped. That's true. Was this Calgary? And, yeah, yeah, that Calgary. was Calgary. I was at that event, but I, I, I missed this experience. I heard about it years later, but I was actually at that event and as an announcer that year. But I heard stories of this later on the year. I think when we were at uh, when we were in the UK at the uh, Battersea Power Station later that year. I had heard about the mm -hmm. infamous dirt bike incident in Calgary. <laughs> it was highly wow, bird. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. All right, so out of all of your experiences with Red Bull X Fighters, where was your favorite place that you ever got to go? Ooh. You know, honestly, I don't think I have a favorite. They were all so unique and and so fun um it afforded me to travel to places that i never would have gone before i would have never gone to dubai i would have never gone to istanbul turkey i would have probably never gone to cairo or brasilia brazil like there were some really really cool places and um i i, I honestly don't think i have a favorite um i think one of the most interesting, like I said, was probably Cairo. The second most interesting was probably Rio de Janeiro. We actually had to dive under tables because the favelas were fighting while we were doing setup and they were shooting at one another and there were tracer bullets going through our venue. 
and we had to dive under the tables because they were coming through our trailers, our event trailers. It was super sketchy. Let me just say that. The bullets were actually going into the trailers? Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty wow, sure Tess, I don't think I have a picture of it, but Tess has a picture of a bullet hole going through the build, like the hole in the, the building. I remember that story because I was actually texting Tess that night. And he was like, well, we're hiding under tables because we're being shot at. I was like, what? <laughs> but I didn't realize the bullets were that close. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. We had to, like we said, like I said, we had to pay people off in order to get them to stop fighting during the event. So that was interesting. We had to pay off a lot of people in Russia in order to get that event to happen too. Um, and our radios went out, which we kind of knew would happen because we were right next to the Kremlin and we were informed by the local team, like, just be aware your radios might, you know, they might interfere with our comms and they did. <laughs> so that was interesting. Um, but again, like all of these places are so memorable and so cool. I, I don't know that I could have picked a favorite place. I know Jules has got a favorite one. I was just curious if you had any on that list. Did Jules ever tell you about her magical experience where she got to kiss the most dangerous land animal on the <laughs> continent of Africa right on the nose? No, I don't remember this. Share, Jules. Now's your time to shine. Jimmy, you're such a better storyteller than me. Would you please tell Jane about this experience? Oh, come on. <laughs> All right. So we did two years in South Africa. We did an X-Fighters at the Capitol in Pretoria. Uh, the first year that we went, uh, the local Red Bull guy in charge, his name was Marty, or as we like to call him, Marty Party. And Marty had been around the globe with us a couple of times to prior events, mm -hmm. because as you know, someone's hosting one of these things in their country for the first time, they send you to other ones and they put you into the fray and make you work on the project so you understand it better. So we had had some pretty good experiences with Marty. Uh, in other countries. So when we got to Africa, he was like, hey, stick around an extra week and I'm going to take you guys on a little adventure. So it was myself, Jules, and uh, Daniel Steffe uh, from the German team. So we went on this safari. So at this point in time, it was like an hour and a half drive outside of Pretoria. And we weren't necessarily, we were in the wild, but not. So this whole experience was kind of like Jurassic Park. So what it was, was you went to this massive expanse of land that was owned by several families and the whole thing was fenced in. So you went into this fenced area like Jurassic Park and then animals were there. They were animals that were indigenous to the area. And then you drove to the place where you were going to be staying. And there was a secondary gate that was an electric fence and all the different houses were there that you stayed in. So basically you could stand on your porch at night and swim, sit in the hot tub, barbecue, do whatever. And none of the predatory animals were going to be able to get in and get to you because of the electric fence. So you would hang out and barbecue and swim. And then you'd get up super early in the morning and you'd go on a game drive outside of the electric fence and you'd go see some stuff. So don't get me wrong. It was an absolute blast and we had a great time. But then the following year, it was like, hey, we didn't get to see lions. We kind of saw an elephant's butt, but didn't really get the full experience. <laughs> So let's do this again, but let's go some, let's go deep. Let's go way out to one of these other places where there's no fences and get the full experience. So we were all on board with this as well as Daniel again and a couple other guys. So we get there and the event was a rough week. Uh, somebody had broken into the event trailer and stolen pretty much everybody's laptops except for mine and Jules because we were smart and didn't leave them in there. Um, 
passports were stolen. Steph, I ended up quitting that week. Uh, every, by the end of the week, everybody just soured on the whole thing. Like, we're not going. So Angela and I had already booked it to where we were staying there an extra week. And we were like, well, now what are we going to do? So at this point, Marty was not going to be there either because he had to leave and go to Ireland to go to a wedding. So we go to Marty's house for a barbecue that last night. His dad's there and his brother-in-law. And we're sitting there drinking and having a good old time. And they get me talked into this situation where they're like, you guys are just going to rent a car tomorrow and you're going to drive to this place. It's like five hours away on the border of Mozambique. Two turns. There's a place where you can go kiss a hippopotamus. And I was like, what? Kiss a hippo? They're like, yeah, we did this as kids. It's awesome. Her name's Jessica. So the more we drink, the more I'm on board with this idea. And we're like, yeah, we're going to drive to Mozambique. And we're going to go kiss a hippo. So we go back to the hotel wake up the next morning and obviously the uh, brandy and Cokes have taken their toll and I'm sitting at breakfast and I'm like, Oh God, what happened? So Marty's like, Hey, are you doing this or not? And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm looking at Angela. I'm like, do we want to do this? Do I just want to change my ticket and go home? So the next thing I know he's calling this place and he's like, so it's a smoking hot deal right now. You can get everything for 500 bucks. That includes your lodging, your food and your game drives. You're idiots. If you don't take this experience. So we looked at each other and went, all right, here we go. So the next thing I know, I'm renting a car and it's like the steering wheel's on the right-hand side. So I've never done that before. And he's like, oh, three turns. It's five hours, but it's literally only three turns. We'll put it in the GPS. You'll be good to go. He's like, just follow me. We'll get out of town. Once you get on the freeway, just don't stop until you make those three turns. Okay, here we go. So we get out on the open road and we get out of Pretoria and we're out in the middle of nowhere. And then you come up on the shanty village where there would be like a mine or some sort of industry out there. And there's signs on the side of the road that say, do not pick up hitchhikers. <laughs> so they've got these little rest stops on the side of the road that you can get gas, food, whatever. I stopped at one to get us a pizza. I come back out. Angela's in the front seat, all hunkered down with a hoodie over her face. Cause there's two guys <laughs> fighting on the hood of our rental car. So we're just like, okay, here we go. So we drive forever, and then we finally get off of the main highway, and we're on these two-lane roads meandering through the backcountry. And then all of a sudden, you'll come into this little village, and you stop at a stop sign, and there's literally people walking across the road with livestock and baskets of things on their head. It's the weirdest thing ever. And then the sun starts to go down, and there's weird animals out in the road. And you don't think about it, and you're like, oh, that's not a deer. You're like, what is that? Like, at one point, we realized these things running across the road were actually baboons. I was like, God, I hope I don't hit one of those things. And the South African version of a Prius. Uh, and we basically went through this nightmarish trip and we get to this place. And the first morning we were there, it was absolutely amazing. And we saw so many amazing things that I can't even begin to describe it to you. And the first hour we were on our game drive, we were just looking at one another. We're like, this was worth every last bit of that scary ass drive that we just took. So fast forward to the second to last day, Marty's brother-in-law lives up there. And he came and picked us up one day. And there's a guy that lives, this place is right on the border of South Africa and Mozambique. And it's a big, huge national wildlife preserve. Uh, but he took us to this place. There's a guy that lives on the neighboring farm next door that he basically compared it to a Louisiana gator farmer. This guy's a big old South African redneck. And there was a flood 10 years back and a baby hippopotamus had washed up on his property. And him and his girlfriend just fed her and she never left. So she's been extremely humanized and she mm. swims out the creek into the main river and she still interacts with the wild hippos but she comes back to the house all the time and she just hangs out with these people and they feed her so basically you can go down to this guy's ranch and he's got this crappy sign on the gate that says jessica hippo and you pay 
the equivalency of $5. They walk you down to this makeshift little bench and show you this 10 minute VHS tape. And then the guy tells you what you're going to do, goes on this dock, rings a bell. Here comes the hippo and you feed her sweet potato slices in this two liter bottle of tea and you can rub her and kiss her on the nose. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It's the most <laughs> dangerous animal on that continent. It kills more people than any other animal on that continent. And here we are on a dock ringing a bell, willingly getting one to come near us so we could touch it. And Angela was the and first one to go. And I've, got, I've got video and pictures of this. And Angela just stepped right up with that two liter bottle of tea and then leaned in and kissed it right on the nose. It was amazing. a girl. Yeah. It was amazing. And then the photo of me, I'm looking at it like I... I don't like it's a baby that just vomited. I don't want to get anywhere near this thing because I'm terrified it's going to take my hand off. But it was the craziest thing. She is a full grown hippo. I mean, it was like Jaws. She comes up and she puts her front two uh, paws on the dock and half of the dock sinks into the water. And you're like, oh, God, there was this older couple that was there with us. And they were terrified when this went on. Uh, but then she just wanders back out to the main river. But then they had another one. They had a smaller male that he called Richie. And same thing, he had another flood and Richie washed up, but poor Richie had to be sequestered away from her because she would kill him because she would view him as a threat mm. to her food source. He's been so humanized. So it was definitely a learning experience. We got back to the main lodge and they were like, yeah, we know all about that. We kind of frown on that guy and this whole operation. But it was funny. Those people, they feed you, you get your breakfast, lunch and dinner, your game drives and everything. But we would miss the meals because once we would get back from the after the morning game drive, Marty's brother-in-law would come pick us up and we'd go into town and go hang out. And all the people that worked at the lodge were like, how the hell do you guys have friends around here? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we were, we were a bit of an anomaly with that crew. And they're like, okay. And they had to have a poor kid wait up for us every night when we came back, because you can't walk to your cabin after dark by yourself because there's no fences. So they have to have one of the guides walk you back to make sure that nothing scary is going to jump out of the brush and come get you. Oh, geez. <laughs> Well, like, those are the types of experiences that, you know, would you have ever been able to do that had you not been, you know, doing the job that you were doing? No, never. No. For me, no. Yeah. I never would have thought to do that. I would have never even heard of that damn place if it wasn't for them. Right. You know, they're similar, not even similar, but another experience that, that Angela and I got to have that was so unique, that was so, so awesome because we were in the role that we were in was we actually got to climb the Sydney Harbor Bridge with oh, no tether. Wow. No tether. Everyone else who goes up that bridge, Oprah, they have to wear the onesie. They have to put little things on their sunglasses so they don't fall off. They have to wear a tether, like the whole nine. No, we, you know, we stroll up, we go to the, you know, the one side that the tours aren't given on and we start climbing up that side with all the riders and some of our media people. Small fun fact, Angela is deathly afraid of heights and lost her mind the entire time. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. I still have nightmares about it to this day. But with some coaxing, I got her up there. So it was great. And it was just, it was a very surreal experience. You know, you, you look around and you see other people that have done it. They've all got to wear the onesie with the tether and the whole nine. And we're up there in our hoodies and whatever. And, and 
that was a really remarkable experience, again, that we never would have gotten if we weren't doing the jobs that we were doing. Yeah, I agree. I don't think I would ever have done that if I hadn't had been there because of the job. Yeah, it's one of the perks of the job. For sure. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, yeah I was going to say, like, I don't think there is anyone in the event industry that's making a shit ton of money. Like, I, I don't think really honestly getting rich but there's different ways to get rich like these life experiences and some of the things mm -hmm. we've seen and done like there's no comparison and there isn't a value for for doing the things we've done and so sometimes it's like yeah i'm not you know definitely not gonna like you know oh look i'm my retirement plan is to work until i die because there's literally no retirement plan working events so it's just kind of like there's there's other things though that make it so much more valuable than just like whatever measly paycheck we wind up getting a hundred percent that's absolutely true this is a little sidebar but similar is that i mean most of the stuff that i do is obviously live event announcing or tv announcing obviously the tv announcing pays you know infinitely different than when you're live event announcing but uh, ever since I stepped into that role, uh, when I took over for you, when you left Red Bull X fighters, I, like I said earlier, I, I saw a different side of things, but then I started doing some other things where I would step in, in an operations role. And I ended up doing, uh, for, uh, S and K, I ended up out in Portland, Oregon, uh, doing ops for, we were the build out crew for, uh, a flug dog. And a lot of old guys recognized me from events, but they were like, wait, you're on the ops crew? What are you doing? And then at, uh, out at Straight Rhythm a couple of times, people were like, what are you doing? Aren't you an announcer? And then it's funny, too, because some of the television production people were like, oh, you're announcing. I was like, no, I'm here on operations. And they're like, yeah, right. And I'm like, no, seriously, I'm on Channel 3 if you need product or ice during this event. And then they see me driving around in a scissor lift later on. They're like, oh, he's not kidding, is he? And then other people are coming up to me like, what are you doing? I'm like, I didn't have any work this weekend. I actually enjoy the people that I'm working with. And to be quite honest with you, I'm having fun. And it reminds me of how good I have it when I'm in the announcing booth. And you know what? Sometimes there's super long days and you're beat to crap and you're all bloodied up and you're sunburned. But you know what? I wouldn't trade it for the world. No matter how miserable I am on the worst day, if somebody said, you want to come back next year? I'd be like, yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's funny because it's, you know, when you're when you're in the thick of it, you know, you're, you're head down, you're trying to stay in your lane and you're trying to get what you know how to do done. And everyone has their lane, right? So one of the things that I learned um, that I didn't learn, but I it got to experience after leaving, you know, being an independent contractor and leaving the X Fighters, X Games world was I had a boss that was so great at making sure everyone felt like they were a part of something bigger and that no matter what if they were taking out the trash or if they were the announcer or if they were the you know starter or if they were a flagger or it didn't matter what your role was that you were integral in making that event happen and I feel like that's something that got a little bit lost in the independent contractor world and especially at X Fighters because we had so many different teams working on so many different things that it wasn't necessarily like one cohesive team. And so you didn't really feel like you um, were that integral cog. You just kept your head down and you kept doing what you had to do. But after leaving that world and, and 
experiencing a few other events, it was really, really nice to like feel like I now can learn how to build a team and make sure everyone feels appreciated because I feel like sometimes in that event contractor world, you don't feel appreciated if you are the flagger or the trash taker outer or the whatever role that you're in. So what you're saying is it made you feel like an essential worker? It did. It did. See how I tied that into current events? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. That was low-hanging fruit considering that we're all sheltering in place. <laughs> as you should. As you should. Yeah, there's, you know, there are some people, and I'll name a few names on this, that are actually really good about that. So on the X-Fighters thing, Daniel Steffe was always really, really good about that. And things would get kind of in the weeds and it would get tough. He was always really good at the end of the night. Like even if tempers were flaring a little bit, you'd all go out and have dinner and either him or Tess would pick it up on the card. And, you know, he'd say something supremely encouraging. And uh, Eric Matijevich from States and Kingdom, that guy is mm -hmm. the class mm -hmm. when it comes to that. Not only will he thank everybody for being a part of it, he will literally go down the line and shake every single one of your hands and not like just shake your hand. Like he'll shake your hand and he'll look you dead in the eye. And he absolutely, it's the most sincere thing ever. And I've never seen anything else like it. It is amazing. Like, I love how at the end of the night, it's like everybody cracks a beer and there's a bottle of whiskey or something going around and talks about, you know, hey, great job. We knocked this out of the way. Or if the next couple of days are going to be super long and crap. Like, it's just awesome the way that he just sort of rallies the troops and he looks you dead in the eye and shakes your hand and mm -hmm. says, hey, thank you for all your hard work. And I've never seen anything like that anywhere else. Yeah, and that's what I have. I mean, and I've worked with Matijevich and, and Daniel, but Daniel is in a different role kind of at X Fighters when, when I was there. And and um, I agree, Matijevich is great and, and does definitely say thanks. And, and and it wasn't until I got to six speed working with Andy Dixon that he was he was the one that was he was in the exact same same role as you're exactly what you're saying about Matijevich. Um, he just made you feel like you're you're all a part of this team and that it, we couldn't get it out. We couldn't get it done without you kind of feeling, which is really, really fantastic. I mean, Angela, you could speak to this. I mean, you know, that straight rhythm, for example, that one's an ass kicker because, you know, I, again, not trying to like, it's not to sound like trash talking, but sometimes in some of these events you get, you get certain companies that are in charge and you've got too many chiefs and not enough Indians people are constantly mm -hmm. changing their mind. Or things are just, you get you know, someone comes in and gets eyes on something and they're like, oh, I don't like that. Take it all down and start over. Uh, you know, in this last go around, like we were still getting branding literally the Friday night while athletes are loading in and they're starting to warm us and whatnot. And it's a drain on the system. And for me, that just is when you start to get supremely annoyed and tempers start to flare because you've got a list and everybody knows what needs to be done. But at that point in time, it's like this never ending list of things that keep happening. There's no light at the end of the tunnel because you don't have an you don't have a set line like I've got to do everything and there's the there's the end point because it's like you get to that and you think all right I'm two hours away and then someone's like nope you got to redo something so on nights like that when you know it's going to be 12 14 hours and you're going to be eating pizza on site for dinner and you're literally going to have no energy but to go home and stand in the shower for 20 minutes before you hit the pillow those guys are super super great about just sort of making you feel like you know what this sucks but we're all in it together and I couldn't do it without each and every one of you. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think Matijevich is like, if nothing else too, I think what it is is when you're out on a venue, especially on the op side and you're, you're working, your head's down and you're getting dirty and it's a long day and it's just, 
you know, you're, you're running out of energy and patience. And even just the fact that, you know, Matevich runs around and on his little scooter and does a lap and just even just checks in and it can be a few seconds, but it's, it kind of just, even just that head nod, it's like, okay, so I'm not the only one out here. He's out here making the rounds. He's checking in on everybody. He's got a pull. I mean, I know he has a big plate that he's dealing with and with like just a ton of different things on the plate, but he still makes the time to come out and check in on everybody. And even if it's just for like a few seconds, but it just makes a huge difference. It's that connection. It's like, just because mm-hmm. you're at the top of the food chain doesn't mean that you're still not part of the whole like food source process, you know, that you can't be like out there in the middle of it. So yeah, I mean, a l- and a little just goes a long way. And it's amazing how like, there's a lot of other people that run production companies that just that don't do that. They'll sit in the trailer the entire time. You never see them. They'll have their, you know, ear earbuds in and that's it. Maybe they pop out for a cigarette or something like that, but otherwise they'll, they're never out on the venue ever. You like, you just, you only see them when you have to go in the, in the trailer and get something. Yeah. Another thing that I found entertaining about those guys and the way they operate this last going around was when they had snowman's little brother out there and he was just sort of the, uh, the tool manager, if you will. And that first day or two, I was like, wait, that's his job is he just sits in the trailer and he just monitors the tools and the radio batteries going out. And it, I wasn't sure. And I, it struck me as funny. But then as we got to the middle of the week, I'm like, oh, this is a whole different ball game because he monitors that and he knows who's taking what out. So at the end of the night, when they're, they're trying to figure out like, okay, who's got the sledge and who's got this and who's got that instead of everyone just being tired and beat and thinking they're going home. And now we're all out on this massive scavenger hunt trying to find tools that are misplaced all over the place. It's like, oh, well, you were the last person to take this out. So it's like the guilty party has to go get it while the rest of us sit there and drink beers. I was like, you guys are geniuses. <laughs> yeah, everyone matters. Well, here's a question I've kind of been asking everybody, Jane, that we've done this with. So in light of the world completely falling apart, the Walking Dead style right now, um, how does this affect your current day-to-day? And where do you see the event world bouncing back out of this whole thing with the with the Roni? Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, I'm, I'm at a small agency, um, less than 10 people. And we've had to we've had to lay people off which has not been fun um so we're down to a really really slim team there's two of us left besides our owner and accounting person um and so you know i'm i'm back to wearing multiple hats and having to step in and um in my current role i'm technically not really producing events anymore i'm i'm more managing the team running process um and so now I've kind of had to go back a little bit, which is totally fine, to helping produce these events that we still have on the books. Um, I think it's going to be a really tough thing because obviously the, you know, the event world, the service industry has gotten hit really hard with this crazy COVID virus, whatever. Um, and so, you know, we were we were getting hit as early as January, people starting to postpone their events. And then in February, they started canceling and then a huge round of cancellations in March, um, which I think, I mean, that's 
that's fine if that's how they want to do it. My concern, though, and I was I was talking about this um, offline earlier, which was, you know, a lot of the events that we do are fundraisers for nonprofits, and it's going to be it's it's really tough for them because they've actually had to cancel completely their events. You know, they're they're for things like children's hospitals and children's cancer research fund. So they're really, really important um, events for them, you know, getting all of these, you know, wealthy people in a room and trying to outbid one another for, you know, a trip to somewhere. Um, and so they're losing out on millions and millions of dollars. And, and they're really trying to figure out how do we now, you know, fundraise in this time of social distancing? Like, what, what can we do? So that's been an interesting turn um, for us. The other thing that that's come up for us is, you know, all of these, you know, graduation ceremonies that are no longer taking place. So we've had to help, we've got some universities that are clients for us and we've had to help brainstorm with them what they can do in place of having, um, you know, ceremonies. So that's been kind of interesting too in, in trying to, you know, take our event, you know, business and we're, we have to kind of pivot it right now into something completely different that we've never really done before. Um, so it's going to be interesting because, you know, we, we don't necessarily um, know what's going to happen, obviously. And so who knows what's going to be first. And, and we were talking earlier, like no one wants to be the first event to come out of this. Um, they don't want to be the socially irresponsible ones for bringing all these people together and then everybody getting sick. So I don't know. I, I, it's going to be a very interesting time because I even asked myself, we've got some events in the fall or even, you know, Summer X Games is coming back to Minneapolis this summer in July. A, are they going to have it? And B, who's really going to want to go to it? Because in Minnesota here, we've got like, I think we probably are like everywhere else in the country, but we're all mandated work from home until May 5th. And there's been talk of the governor extending that into mid-May or into early June. So it's that question of who's going to be first. And then I think once that first event happens, I think it will snowball. I think it will get better and better and better as, as we get further into the fall and into the winter again. I agree with you. I think a couple of people are going to have to be the guinea pigs, if you will, for events. And mm -hmm. it's, I think at this point, it's going to be once, once the restrictions get lifted and you can legally do something like that, it's just going to be, who's going to be the brave one to take that first step and say, you know what, I don't care what anybody else thinks we're going ahead with this event. And then others will fall in line. Uh, it'll yeah. be interesting to see I think that mainstream sports are going to be a good guideline or a gauge of that because major league mm -hmm. baseball, for example, talking about, starting their season here in the next couple of weeks, but doing it all out in Arizona where they test everybody going in and then they take their temperature before they go into games and mm -hmm. they all stay in these college dorms. And the only people that are going to be in the stands are your bench players that aren't in the game that day and they have to sit 10 feet apart, but sports will go on. Um, yeah. I heard that too. NBA about kind of talking about similar things to finish up their seasons or talking about scrapping the rest of their seasons. You're just going straight into yep. a playoff. So it'll, that'll sort of be a good indicator, but I can assure you that X games hasn't pulled the plug yet. They are still talking about hope that they can still pull off the Minneapolis event 
So maybe we will get to see your smiling face at U.S. Bank Stadium in July. Well, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> it would be fabulous. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, it would, it would be really nice to, of course, see you guys, of course. Um, but to see, you know, that for me, that, that feels like this year, if, if it happens and cross our fingers and knock on wood that it happens, you know, it's probably the last time I will even attend an X Games just because, you know, why I'm, it's been so fantastic having it in my backyard here for the last couple of years. Um, but a lot of the people, you know, the old guard that we worked with at X Games back in 02 to 07 or even, even the last, I don't know how long, but they're not even there anymore. So you don't even, you know, you go and you see some of the athletes that are still there, but some of the workers aren't there anymore that, you know, you really got to know. And, and like, you know, Angela and or Jules and I have talked about, you know, we spent more time with these athletes and our, you know, coworkers than we did with our own families. And so that's, that's been really neat to be able to go back to X Games and see some of those people and try to reconnect with them and, um, you know, haven't seen them in years because I haven't worked in X Games for 10 years. Yeah, it's definitely, I've noticed a lot of that. It's been a changing in the guard. There's been, uh, you know, people just grow, they evolve. Sometimes, yeah. you know, they've started families and they don't want to be on the road that much anymore. So uh, definitely looking back on my time frame in the event world, I've, there's, you know, a lot of people that come and go. It's funny, the other day uh, during the shelter in place, we just had a, uh, we had a Zoom conference with uh, a bunch of old ASA staff people, which was a good time. There was about seven or eight of us on that call. So it was just funny to get everybody together and just kind of relive some old war stories, similar to what we're doing here today. Yeah, that was a great group of people. I that was those were some really fun events to do too. Um, you know, not only the freestyle motocross events in Pomona for oh my gosh, I think I did virtually every single one of those. Um, and then it was awesome getting to go to you know Manchester, England, and gosh, where else did we go? <laughs> you know, we went all over the place with that, which was really really fun. So it was fun to 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 get to know multiple different groups of event families, you know, because like you're saying, you've got, you know, the X fighters world was a event family. The X games world was another one. Um, you know, the ATV championship tour that I worked on was a whole different one. I did a snow cross tour for many winters. You know, it's, it's, uh, a, you really get to meet a lot of really cool people, which was really one of the best parts of, of having the jobs that we've had over the last, 20 years it'll make some interesting stories around a campfire many many years down the road <laughs> yeah I'm not sure I probably I don't think I shared many of those stories today but there could be time for another another one <laughs> I'm going to be 75 years old somewhere and I'm going to get a text from Jules she'll be like hey can you tell this story to everybody on speakerphone because I don't remember all the details <laughs> I do the same thing to her. <laughs> I make her tell all the stories because every time she and I talk, she's like, do you remember at so-and-so when we did the thing and thing? And I'm like, we did what? <laughs> we did what? I don't remember doing that. Oh yeah. She does that to me all the time. Oh, I have one more random little thought that I was going to bring up earlier and I totally spaced and forgot about this since we were talking about Red Bull X fighters and me taking over 
the reins from you when you stepped out. You know what my nickname was for the longest time when I took over your spot and you had moved on? Oh, no. No, I don't. What was it? I had two. I was a New Jane. That was my nickname. (laughs) Or as Jimmy Verberg liked to call me, Jimmy Jane. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Of course he would do that. Oh, yeah. That one kind of stuck. So it was Jimmy Jane kind of, him and Toby loved to call me that. (laughs) Oh, those Euros. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Like to this day, when I get any sort of a Facebook message or email from Jimmy Berberg, he's like, "Hey, Jimmy Jane." <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, mine think that one's Janer. Ever... I don't think I'm, I don't For... think that one's ever going away. Yeah. Well, we there was at one time we had a Dane, a Jane, and a Lane, all on the same crew. So we had to come up with some interesting names <laughs> to make sure when we called on the radio that we all actually knew who we were like calling for. Yeah, and there was a hell of a lot of Daniels on that project, too. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Yes, there were. A hell of a (laughs) lot of Daniels. Well, any closing thoughts before we wrap this up, Jane? This is great. I I, I mean, I I hope that, you know, I'm not sure I maybe gave the right insight, you know, behind the scenes, but, um, you know, being an independent contractor and working with you guys and working on, on events has been such a really fun and awesome experience and definitely something I wouldn't change for anything. Um, traveling the world and meeting really cool people and doing something that's really, really interesting and challenging, but yet fun. I mean, a lot of people can't say that. So this is, this has been such a awesome career thus far and, Here's some more years of doing what we do. I couldn't agree with you more. It's been an amazing experience. And like we were saying earlier, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I think that you did a great job uh, today giving <laughs> insight to the other side of it. And I really, I, I never knew that you wanted to be into broadcast journalism and that you completely switched mm-hmm. gears and decided to get into this world. So that was a learning experience for me. And I've known you for a very long time. So even I learned something here today. So I thought your presence on the podcast today was brilliant. And thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Jules. Yeah, thanks, Angela, Jane. Nope. Thanks, Jane. Appreciate it. And um, hopefully we'll see you back out working soon. And um, be events. Is that correct? So if anybody's yeah. looking for Jane and uh, some event work for the future, you find you at uh, be events and uh, let's get back to work soon. Hopefully fingers crossed. Stay healthy, everybody. Copy that. (laughs) Stay healthy, bake bread.